Owning a small business can be overwhelming. How can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. There's so many places to reach customers. Email, text messages, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, live events. The list goes on. How are you, as the business owner, expected to own all of those channels? That's where Constant Contact comes in to help. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. I use this to grow my email list, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the college basketball betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. And joining us today, a special guest that you may recall from last year, Eli Hershkovich, has joined us for today since Randall cannot make it. He's uh, away for the weekend. Uh, What's going on, Eli? going on guys hopefully we don't get into a little Oregon fight tonight but uh we'll Fuck try to I love Oregon <laughs> and uh that's all I gotta say my question is did anybody did anybody bring a whistle because I just am coming off an Arkansas South Carolina game that 57 personal fouls where the entire roster either had four fouls or five fouls amazing game well look if, if I'm saying fuck your ducks that means that at least I care about the Ducks, right? At least they're in the conversation. I don't think anyone's out there saying, fuck your hogs, because no one cares. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Arkansas took uh, another loss last night, a home loss. The South Carolina team, that's, that's really coming on. It feels like they do this every year uh, in conference play. Uh, they'll take some horrid losses out of conference, and they did that once again this year. And then they will have a long winning streak in conference, including a win over, at home win over Kentucky. Uh, I didn't catch that game last night, Colin. Randall wanted to give you shit about your boy Cup of Joe missing a shot. And uh, so how, how did it play out? Should they have won? What are your thoughts on on the team and where they're headed right now? Woo, pig suey. Colin's talking Razorback basketball. Well, first off, with South Carolina, I think they're, don't quote me on this, 11-1 and one against the spread on the road. So they've just been fantastic on the road. And I know that the opening number went to nine. It got down to six and a half. And I thought it went too far because once I saw Isaiah Joe warming up two hours before game time, hitting threes from all over the court, I thought, well, here we go. We're going to break out of the funk tonight. You know, Mr. Volume, Mason Jones is going to hit his threes. Mason Jones. 
all of Arkansas's inefficiencies were on display. We can't rebound whatsoever. We're bigger than this team, which is amazing. And South Carolina still out rebounded us. Arkansas, when they go cold from the three point line, which we have been for like four games in a row now, anybody in the country can beat us and we can't beat anybody. And the defense has sagged around the arc. And I think we talk about bench minutes being a real problem with this team. The fact that they have such a low rotation without Isaiah Joe's really only six guys that play. At the end of February, I thought Arkansas was going to fade, but I think we're already getting there. We've got inflammation in the knees. We've got huge cold streaks of shooting. So Arkansas is a definite stay away team and maybe go look for those NIT props that are uh, jumping around Vegas these days. Yeah, it doesn't look great for Arkansas, but I mean, it's year one of Musselman. You want to give him some time and yeah, they, they do just to me, they seem extremely three point reliant, right? And if the threes are falling, you know, they can upset anybody. And, and, and I believe that they're a good perimeter team, but they're holding teams at 24.6% from three. That's historically great. You'd expect some regression there, even if they are a good perimeter defense team. And with that, they've still lost three of four. You know, and the, the home loss to South Carolina really hurts. They're at Alabama next. A good, a good spot, if you assume they lose that game, which I think they probably do, is home against Auburn after that. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm going to fucking wear out fading Auburn this year. But that's probably a good spot. And that's a huge game to determine where their season goes. Especially with Auburn coming off the huge game that they've got coming up too, right? Auburn against Kentucky. What kind of, what kind of mindset will Auburn be in after they get out of that? Yeah, that's a great spot on Saturday. All right, well, let's transition over to Eli's. Uh, and just to give people a heads up on what we're going to cover, we're going to just cover the Big East. We're going to talk to the Big East teams. We'll talk about the week that was, yell at some teams. So we'll circle a couple spots on Friday and or Saturday and then uh, talk any futures that we've added and then get out of here. But before we get into any of that, Eli, let's talk your ducks. Uh, you and I have a friendly duck rivalry on Twitter. And your ducks, oh, man, they owned me last week. I took uh, – who did I have? UCLA. That game was over before it started. So they looked impressive there. It's a team, you know, that has – it's well coached. You know, it's a team that I always do like in the tournament, right? And then because and Altman's going to switch up his defenses a lot. He's going to give teams different looks. There's, it's a hard – an Altman team is always a hard team to prepare for in short rest, you know, especially out of conference. We're not used to seeing Oregon. So from that perspective, I like them. And then obviously you have like a star guard who's going to have the ball in his hands at all times in Pritchard. And, and, and this tournament, I think that's what it could come down to is, you know – a team with so much parity this year, it could just come down to one of the star. If you have a star player, like a Miles Powell. Powell from Trenton. Woo! What makes the world takes. Or, you know, Pritchard, someone catching fire. And then in these close games in the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four, being that difference maker at the end, you know, it's a, it's one of the reasons why I don't love Rutgers in the tournament, right? They have great defense. They do a lot of things. Well, I think they're a bona fide t- top 25 team, but who is their go-to guy at the end, right? Who's that guy that's just going to take over when they need it. I think they're lacking that department. Oregon does have that, but if you look at their resume, right? A lot of lucky wins. That's why I always give you shit about them. They've won a number of games in overtime, you know, so there's some things I do like about them and some things I don't, but just give me your general feel for your ducks, you know, has your mindset on them changed and what they need to do to make a deep run and what could end up haunting them? What are your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, if you go back to the Maui Invitational, when they, they play Seton Hall, they come back and win that game from 
double digits and up. I think it was like an 18 point deficit. They beat your Miles Powell, who I'm now invested in. I'm now invested in Seton Hall future. Didn't they try to hurt him that game or something? I feel like they tried to trip him. That's where my vendetta started with the Ducks. I think they did. I got to go back and find this out because that's that's my fuel and it's been so long. I'm losing my fire. That's why I forgot about that. All right. So anyway, yeah, I think that they like someone tried to trip them or something. But go ahead. I'll let you go. You can't trip Trent. That's for sure. You can't trip up Miles Powell. I'm with you now. Now that, now that I have a bet on Seton Hall, that's inexcusable. But the Gonzaga loss was really impressive because that was another comeback. I know they lost to UNC the game after that. But yeah, I mean, if you go, if you look at some of their overtime losses, their overtime wins, uh, over Arizona, Washington, USC, again, impressive. The USC one, I, I wasn't too concerned about. I know that was last Thursday, and uh, they needed to come back in overtime to do that. USC makes the second half comeback, but they had the lead. They blew it. That's, you know, an overtime win where you're coming back late in the second half is is one I would consider more lucky than when you, where you have the lead and then you just blow it. The Trojans come back. They were hot coming into that game too. But my biggest issue with the Ducks uh, is defensively because they're 82nd in adjusted defensive efficiency. They've been floating back and forth, like 70s, even right around the the, hun- the 100th mark across. And not great in conference either. Right, you exactly. Just look at all across the board. Right, besides like a Stanford, and Stanford started to regress already too. I think we all saw that coming, but Stanford's a, a pretty upper echelon team defensively, regardless of the conference. But Oregon's defense, if that's the question. You have Peyton Pritchard, you have Chris Duarte who started to come come on offensively. He's creating turnovers and, and break it on a transition to get his offense going. Anthony Mathis has completely regressed uh, from what he was in non-conference play after that big game at Michigan. And Foley Dante, their five-star big, hurt right now, but he hasn't really developed into the kind of player that I thought he would be when I invested in Ducks futures. So, yeah, I mean, defense is my biggest issue, though, overall. Offense travels in the tournament. Peyton Pritchard, you need that kind of go-to score down the stretch in games, and he's so good at getting to the basket in games, even when you try to double him, because he gets so low on his on his dribble drive. But, yeah, man, defense is, is the worry, and I don't know if they could turn that around. They did it last year, but they had more athletic pieces around the basket with shot blockers. So that's that's my biggest concern. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to hope that, you know, it obviously comes together, but then there's some scheme component that boosts their defense, right, from Altman, where it's, you know, you're playing these teams that aren't familiar with you. Um, what is the status on Dante? I, I haven't even looked for an update on him. I know he's out right now. But what's the, what's the uh, prognosis for when he could come back? Yeah, I think he's supposed to come back here over the next couple of weeks. He's been... Uh, quote unquote day to day, according to Dana Altman. I mean, even when he was healthy, like he was a he was a big defensive liability. Going back to that Thursday night loss at Colorado a few weeks ago or a month ago, whatever it was. So uh, even when he was on the floor, uh, again his post moves haven't really developed. And now that he's been off the floor for you know a couple weeks now, even playing limited minutes before that, I, I don't consider him to be a big piece in March. Maybe he's a rim protector. That could be huge in, for, for the Ducks in, in the tournament. But the status of Dante moving forward, he, he, he should come back over the next couple of weeks. But it's not, a, it's not a determining factor to me if Oregon can make a run in March or not. Yep. Uh, keep in mind that Oregon also is a snail on offense. They're kind of a snail on defense in the sense that, you know, put some token pressure on and they'll force you, you know, they'll switch their defenses. They'll confuse a lot of offenses. It'll take a lot of opposing offenses time to get into their sets and figure out what's going on. Don't be confused by their points per game because they've played like seven overtimes this year. I think that they're going to have some value on the under going forward. All right, but let's move on and talk some Big East, which has been a really exciting conference this year. You could argue at different points 
and correct me if, if someone can jump in if I'm wrong, but at different points this year during the season, all 10 teams in the Big East have at least been in the conversation for a tournament bid. Would you agree with that? Well, we knew DePaul was, right, Eli? <laughs> Man, everybody was jumping on that bandwagon, and now they have completely fallen off. But they did cover last night at Seton Hall, thankfully. Yeah, one in seven conference record. I mean, it's just going down the chute. And then they got Marquette on deck, and uh, you know, still a really tough conference schedule with uh, Creighton and Nova and uh, Marquette twice, actually. Well, they're an interesting case because, like, I think they can still get back. Like, they're dead last in the conference, but this is a team that could still get back on the bubble because you know they started out what nine and zero and. They had wins over Texas Tech at home at Minnesota, which is decent. You know, at BC, it's eh. But, I mean, Iowa on the road, that's a huge win now. So they had some good non-conference wins. So they're sitting at 1-7 and in the Bs. They'll have to make a little run here. But I don't think that they're out of the tournament discussion. Do you see anyone that's out of the tournament discussion? No, I I personally think St. John's is out of everything completely. Like, there just seems to be nothing under Mike Anderson. The shooting's falling off a cliff. They're 318th in effective field goal percentage. At least DePaul has some good attributes about them. DePaul's problem is six of their next 10 games are on the road. Uh, They can't make their free throws, and their ball protection is 311th. St. John's is just a mess everywhere. They can't shoot the ball. They can put the ball in the basket from anywhere on the floor. Uh, And, and, you know, they're just on as big of a losing streak streak is DePaul is. And I think, I think it is lost for St. John's was where I think DePaul could get hot in the conference tournament. The interesting thing with St. John's though, just to play devil's advocate is you're right. It's been messy. You know, their, their, their only wins in conference are against DePaul. They have two wins over mm-hmm. DePaul, but you know, they have a neutral win over Arizona. So depending on where Arizona goes, that could look better. A win over West Virginia. Right. So like they have some decent out of conference. If they go on a big run here, in conference, I don't think they're out of it necessarily. I think they're outside looking in now. But what are your thoughts? Anyone out of it right now, Eli? No, I mean, the St. John's conversation is interesting. If you go back to the Arizona win, like you mentioned, I mean, my biggest issue with St. John's at Marquette a couple weeks ago, they can't cover that one. Marcus Howard and the Golden Eagles pull away late. The Villanova game was the most frustrating game uh, on, on Tuesday because St. John's jumps out to a big lead. Then, they, I mean, they could not stop Villanova from three. That's probably St. John's biggest issue and their biggest liability in a conference that's filled with decent to good to elite three-point shooting teams is being able to defend outside of the arc. They've allowed in the 100th percentile of uh, Division I teams in in three-point shooting. So it hasn't been good from the perimeter for Mike Anderson in his first season. I don't don't think DePaul is in the conversation to get back into it. Just, Just my perception from like being around that program for a while with Dave Lato, I think he's a terrible coach. You're just bathing in these DePaul losses. Like, you just you, you take bats at night and then put it, put, put replays of the DePaul losses now. Now that you had to deal with the, the DePaul success early on, it's all coming back. Whatever my whatever my internet connection is working at my apartment, I do try to uh, get the TV going while I'm taking a nice hot shower and watch DePaul lose. As creepy as that sounded. <laughs> But, but yeah, I, I am, I, it's, it's been, it's been awful, man. I I don't care about DePaul basketball anymore. I used to, I used to go to DePaul for, for people that aren't aware, Uh, but Charlie Moore, you know, Colin brought up a really good point with their turnover, uh, turnover issues. Charlie Moore turned the ball over eight times at Seton Hall at, had a four to eight assisted turnover ratio. Like he was playing terrifically when they won at Minnesota, when they beat Texas Tech, even though he didn't shoot the ball well in that game, he still distributed the ball really well. J- Jalen Coleman lands could stretch the floor, but I agree with Callen. Like that's the, that's their biggest issue. And then one other team that 
I want to talk about it is Xavier, man, because oh, I invested in a long shot future. There's no way in hell they're making the tournament. Watching that game last night against Marquette, they have completely collapsed, completely collapsed. And to add on to that, Xavier's lost five of their last six, and now they have four of their next five on the road. And they're not really a road-friendly team whatsoever. So, I mean, you can cross these guys off way off the list. That was a shocking, shocking loss. One of the saddest, most pathetic losses. This is a must-win game for you. You're playing at home in control of the game when Marcus Howard, potentially the player of the year, him or Powell, in the Big East, leading scorer nationally, goes out of the game, is out for the game. You're up eight, nine. You go then go seven minutes without scoring. You still end up being up five with a minute to go. You give up an 8-0 run to Kobe McEwen, who just couldn't miss. But And then you had a three to tie it to go in overtime at the last second. So you figure there's no Howard. Bailey was fouled out. You don't. You can't even win in regular overtime because it's a double overtime and you lose when uh, to a completely undermanned Marquette team. Now, to be fair, there was some horrific... Of course, I had Xavier to finish out a money line parlay, so that was an absolute torture chamber. Um, almost as much torture as Ole Miss against Auburn, holding on there. But like, just to lose that game is shocking, and there was some bad calls on Marshall, but you can't blame the refs. When you go 11 of 25 from the line, and you finally got something from Quentin Gooden, who had missed his last 473,000 three-pointers in a row, he, went, he made five of eight. Look great, but just that team is there's something missing from that team, and yeah, it's bad. I think that they're done. Maybe they win at Seton Hall and pull off a stunner and then win at DePaul and get back into the conversation for a home game against Providence. But man, this team looks really bad, and something has just been off all year. And really, if you think about it, Marquette didn't foul last night up three, which is funny because they fouled in the tie game. Uh, against Butler by accident, but they didn't foul. And Xavier hit a three to tie it to go to overtime. Xavier has done that two other times this year against Missouri. They tied it at the in the final seconds with a three. They won that game. Connecticut, uh, Connecticut didn't foul. Xavier hit a three. They won that game in double overtime. So those could have been too easily two losses if those teams fouled. Um, so. Yeah, it's uh, it's not looking great for Xavier uh, just across the board. There's just something off. Do you have a feel for what what it is, Eli, or when you watch them? I was watching the uh, the inside the huddle when Xavier went at Creighton over the weekend and they lost that game. I, I had them plus five and a half. They cut it to six. They teased the hell out of me with like two minutes left and then they lost that game still by double digits. But Travis Steele was talking in the locker room and some of their guys, some of their top guys like Tyree Jones weren't even aware of the scouting report. It's, you know, I, I kind of like that spot at Seton Hall on Saturday, and we'll get to Saturday spots later. But then you question, has Travis Deal lost the locker room? And when you get a chance to uh-huh. watch a, a game like that, and the players and the coach are completely on, on two different paths, and at a big game at Creighton, uh, when it seemed like Xavier was trying to save their season, they lose that game, then they lose at home in a must-win game uh, against Marquette, like you mentioned, uh, Stock. So, yeah, I, I, I'm really concerned with Xavier long-term. Uh, I don't even think there's any sort of value because who knows what's going on inside that locker room and the focus on these games. Yeah, it's not a deep team, double overtime game, quick turnaround. That You have to worry about that as well. And then how do they respond mentally? Anybody just needs to look at this team's free throw percentage. They're not just last in the conference in free throw percentage. It is not, there's a huge gap between them and the ninth-ranked team in the conference. They're shooting 63% in conference from free throw. That is 
That is one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen. They're, they're the worst team in the conference as far as generating steals on the defensive side of the ball. They're one of the worst in the conference at defending two-point shots. Uh, I feel like Xavier's just completely lost their way. But that the gap between them shooting 63% in conference or free throw up to the you know ninth-ranked team of 70% from Seton Hall, that is a huge gap. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So I think that those are the three teams at the bottom that need to make a run along with Georgetown. Uh, Georgetown has been uh, an interesting team because they had a number of key losses uh, this year that of transfers and there was a lot of off the court issues and they lost some key players. You know, it's also not deep. You worry about them kind of running out of gas here. You have some good pieces with Yurtsevin in the inside. You have McClung on the outside throwing picket as well, but this is just a team that, uh, I think is destined for the NIT and they don't play any defense for what it's worth. Um, they're running a little bad for three point defense, but this is a team that just doesn't defend the perimeter. I think they're NIT bound. I think it's a team that might fade down the stretch. They're asking a lot of who they have after some of the losses early on in the season. It's a team that's lost three in a row. It's, you know, a team that's been a lot better at home, but they're starting to lose close home games that they won early in conference play. What are your thoughts on uh, Georgetown? I heard you groan, Colin. So what was, uh, any thoughts on the Hoyas? Well, if we can fast forward to the hate section of the podcast where we're going to moan about some teams, I'm going to moan about Georgetown. All right, let it out. This is your rant of the week. So two weeks ago, I had like one of the worst betting Saturdays I've had in college basketball. Last week, I'm just pushing money back and forth across the counter. And Tuesday night, I'm working on like my first sweep of the college basketball slate. To end it, Georgetown going on against Butler, right? So we get to halftime. Patrick Ewing gets to halftime. 43-32, an 11-point lead. 43-32. Butler got to 45 before Georgetown did. They lost that lead. First 10 minutes unbelievable and I knew all the warts coming into the game I knew they were worse in the conference in defensive efficiency worse in field, uh, opponent field goal percentage and you're right they're the worst in the conference at defending the arc but they're top 25 in the nation in offensive efficiency and I just ugh, I mean you get an 11 point lead and to not get to 45 before Butler does I, I think Patrick Ewing deserves just a half of a paycheck whatever his salary is he should only get paid for the first half because he didn't come out of the locker room for the second half and just had a terrible showing. But, I mean, their three-point percentage rank, they're 292nd. It's just it's not going to cut it. Uh, so, I think you're right. I think they're NIT bound. And defense, they've got to get better because, I mean, we're, we're talking not just last in the conference, but one of the worst in the nation. I'm with both of you guys. Uh, after they had four guys lead the program, again, Colin mentioned their defense. It's been woeful. They needed that game against Butler. They have any shot of making the tournament. But McDermott got hot in that game. He's been getting hot over the last couple for, for the Bulldogs. So, yeah, that, that second half really was probably the, the end of their chances of, of making the tournament. So I think that those are the clear four teams that we don't think will end up making the tournament. I think all four still have, and you guys might disagree with one or two of them, but it, those teams will have to make a big run, I think, and then pull off a couple big upsets to, I think, get in the tournament. And to keep in mind with St. John's, for what it's worth, just if you're, you're wondering how these teams play, they're one of the fastest teams in the country, right? With Anderson, they want to play your your 40 minutes of hell. They cause a lot of turnovers. They don't turn it over, but they can't shoot. Uh, but they play really fast, and then they, they scramble. And I played St. John's against Nova, and we'll get to Nova, who was really impressive that game. But one of the – looking back, one of the dumb things – and you, you kind of hint, touched on this, Eli. The dumb things about that play for me, even though it was a great spot, it's Samuel out for Nova, was just St. John's plays this 
you know, helter skelter type of defense. Right. And they're trying to cause turnovers, right? They're trying to speed up the game. It also hurts their three point defense when teams get into the half court and when they break, you know, any press that St. John's is throwing out there. And Villanova is such a well-connected, you know, they share the ball so well and they pass it. They always make the extra pass, which just spells disaster against the scrambling St. John's defense. Before we get to the top half of the conference, here's a team that just, I, it feels like they're underachieving and in Providence, right? They're 11 and 10 on the year. They're 500 in conference. They've lost three straight. They lost at Seton Hall, competitive-ish game. They lost at Creighton, competitive game. They lost at home to Villanova, competitive-ish game. And, you know, they're at Butler next. Big game for them. And then home against Creighton. So it's a team that I think I just love too much. I don't know. It feels like they're underperforming to me. It's a team that just is so experienced. They brought so much back. They have so much height. Um, I love the way that they play defense. But they just can't put the ball into the peach basket. And at the end of the day, that's kind of the name of the game. Um, I, I mean, I know they couldn't shoot threes, but they can't even, like lay up some games, and it's so frustrating. This team, um, I, Eli, yeah, going on on the Friars. Yeah, no, go back to last Saturday, man. And this is a problem when you're betting because you try not to let games carry over into the next game you bet, right? But a team like Villanova should have lost that game to Providence if David Duke had a, a full brain instead of half a brain down the stretch. So yes. maybe, maybe that was a bad. Uh, a bad call on our end with St. John's as well on Tuesday. But, yeah, I mean, they, they should have gotten the ball more than Nate Watson down the stretch. Uh, and if you think about the on the baseline, again, again, this is going back to Saturday, last Saturday with Providence and Villanova, two slips on the baseline. It takes two slips for the referee to finally to wipe up the floor instead of one. And both, tur- both resulting in turnovers for the Friars. I don't think they led to baskets for Nova, but maybe Providence ties the game or gets a little bit closer. So I agree. I, I like this team a lot. And you have, you know, what if Nate Watson was on an Arizona or, uh, you know, an upper echelon team like a Duke, I don't know if he'd be first team All-American, but he is damn good when he stay, stays out of foul trouble and when he's healthy. He was dominant in that game against Villanova. They just didn't get the ball to him enough. And then you also think about it, uh, what Ed Cooley decided to do, not playing Alpha Diallo, I know he got in foul trouble early, but that's one of your best offensive players. And they were missing a playmaker down the stretch. So I agree, man. I like this team defensively. I think we have a good spot this weekend with the Friars to, uh, coming up on Saturday, to be honest. But Ed Cooley and this team just frustrates the hell out of me. Yeah, it could yeah, be. Yeah, I, mean, I was just going to say, it could be a value team. We'll get to this later on the year. It could be a team with value to win the Big East tournament. We've seen Providence make these runs before. But this is a team that I don't know how they get to the tournament now. They're 500 in conference. Remember, they were unfathomably bad to start the year. That I, I couldn't figure it out. Losses to Penn at home, Long Beach State on a neutral, Charleston on a neutral, Northwestern on the road. Uh, they lost to Rhode Island on the road. Not terrible. But those aren't good, good losses out of conference. And their wins were Sacred Heart, NJIT, St. Peter's, Merrimack, Pepperdine, Stony Brook, and then Texas. So, yeah, I mean, they, their resume is, is pretty awful, but it could be a team that makes a run in the biggest tournament. Cat Colin, what do you want to throw out there? 
Yeah, I mean, Ken Palm's got them projected to lose their next eight in a row. Uh, they've got four of their next six on the road. So, I mean, it's going to be tough sledding for these guys. I do love one of their attributes with the best team in the conference in offensive rebounding, but it just feels like this is a different kind of college basketball season. It seems like everybody can play a little bit of defense, and really it's the offensive component that's really been missing this season, and it's not that many teams that go over that 114 uh, adjusted offensive efficiency qualifier that we have. We look for to, to base – our predictions on like final four and national champ and all that. And this is just one of the teams that can't get it done. And yeah, I mean, with Providence, look to go back to that Villanova game, three of 23, like make a shot. Eventually someone, the resume isn't great. All right, let's get to two teams that I rate pretty similarly in Marquette and Creighton, you know, the, the story with Creighton. And if you guys want to jump in with anything after I'm done with both of these teams, you know, their offense is really good. You could argue that maybe it's the best offense if you look at Kempon, they're probably number one, right? Yeah, let me double check. Yeah, they're number one in efficiency in, in the conference. Number one in effective field goal percentage. They're top 10 offense in efficiency overall this season. Their defense, not great. They also can't rebound, which is a major problem. And, you know, defending at the rim can be an issue. So it's just like all offense, no defense with this team. They're kind of the polar opposite of Providence in a way. Uh, but this team is headed in an okay direction. They've won four of five, but it's been over Xavier, Providence, DePaul, and Xavier again are their wins with a loss on the road to Georgetown. They're now going to Nova and then to Providence, two big games for Crane. I think they're safely in the tournament. It's all offense, no defense. I don't trust them to get enough stops, key stops, when it matters to make a deep run in the tournament. They actually match up semi-decent with Villanova, and we'll get to Nova. And they had that game locked up, if you recall. They played Villanova at home a couple weeks ago. Villanova went on a big run at the end of that game. Uh, They were down, I think, like 15 at the half, too. Villanova was and came back to win. So there could be some value with Creighton here because Villanova's running pretty Mm -hmm. well. We'll get to the Wildcats. But, I, you know, I love some of their offensive players, Zagorowski, Alexander, uh, but I just don't know if they can get stops. And that's that's where I stand with Creighton. I guess before I get to Marquette, Eli, anything on on that you want to say with Creighton and your thoughts on them? I, I'm with you, man. Like, I love this offense. Alexander can shoot the hell out of the, out of the ball. I was watching that, that Creighton-Xavier uh, game on Sunday, and every single three he got on a catch-and-shoot, he didn't miss. Zagorowski- yeah, when he gets hot, it's, uh, it's light. Yeah, man, it's, it's over. And – Zagorowski can shoot, can attack out the bounce. Mooney isn't a great shooter, but what he brings is, again, another guy that can attack the basket. And, and uh, if you have him on the floor as well, that just creates more floor space if he's dribble driving because you, you have to pay attention to him on the attack. Uh, but defensively, that's the biggest issue. And rebounding, that's another thing. I know we're going to talk about Villanova Creighton later on, and I know it's a rematch, so you're going to see adjustments from Creighton, especially what happened in that second half. That was just another typical Villanova second half comeback under Jay Wright. But if you can't rebound against a Villanova team that can slow you down and still operate so efficiently in the half court, that's the issue. If Creighton is forced to play half court basketball in the tournament, I don't see how they can win a, even a game. Like they're, they're on upset watch. It's similar to Auburn, who I freaking hate. Uh, I would love to come out with you guys if we talk, or if you've already talked SEC, but that's another team that I despise. So if they can't play in transition, or let's say 30-ish minutes of the game, three-fourths of the game, they're in trouble. Yep, agree. Anything on Creighton, Kyle? 
I actually love this team. I mean, I have them circled to take a future on them uh, after February 12th because they have a pretty brutal schedule coming up with Villanova, Providence coming up. Then Seton Hall on February 12th. So, you know, two of the best teams in the Uh, conference over the next four games with three of the four on the road. So it's a pretty good spot to circle before the game against DePaul. Yeah, this is the best offensive team in the league. I mean, they're seventh nationally in adjusted offensive efficiency. They're the best three-point shooting team in the conference. Their best two-point percentage and free-throw shooting. So, I mean, all you have to do is get hot, you know, uh, in the tournament, and it can take you far because Eli mentioned Auburn. And, you know, we saw, you know, a team that kind of had a similar offensive agenda last year go pretty far. Uh, so, I think I'm waiting until they get through the bulk of their schedule here and then uh, assessing a future, see how they do against Butler and Seton Hall. Yeah, but that Auburn team could at least force turnovers uh, on defense and pressure you. This, this, a future on Creighton, Colin. I agree that that's. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want. I don't want a, a future on Creighton, but I, I agree that that's the spot that you might want to look to see what the prices in the market. You know, three of their next four on the road, two of which are at Seton Hall and at Nova. But this seems very off-brand of you. It's a team that can't rebound and doesn't really play great defense. So aren't those but they shoot. They, they're a great shooting team. I think. I think great. I think you know. I mean, it's, it is off-brand for me because I love offensive rebounds. I love playing defense. I love having defense around the perimeter. They're twenty seventh in the nation in defending three point percentage. I mean, I know the rest of their defensive stats are pretty bad. They're three hundred fifteenth in blocks. Or you know, they're outside the top one hundred fifty in almost everything. But they do defend the arc very well. I mean, they're twenty seventh in the in the nation, uh, and you know, and they can shoot it themselves. So I mean, if they get hot at the end and and I'm not saying that they're going to win it all, but I'm saying if the number's outrageous, this is a team that, you know, I think is is a four seed, a five seed, a five seed in bracketology right now. I mean, it's a team that's going to make the tournament. It's a team that if they catch fire with their shooting, at least they can defend a bunch of other teams that want to play, you know, three. But, I mean, Eli's right. You know, if, if they get cut into a half-court situation, they're in, they're in deep trouble. But at the same time, if they get a bunch of teams that just want to run and shoot threes all day, this is the team that I want because they defend the arc really well and they shoot it really well. All right, let's move on to Marquette. Uh, really interesting team that's kind of growing on me. I think that the, that that win at Xavier, I think a lot of it was about Xavier melting some bad calls. But you have to give credit to Marquette to, with, on the road without Marcus Howard, you know, coming back and winning that game. And I think it's going to do a lot for their confidence, specifically, you know, Kobe McEwen, the Utah State transfer, has been really good. And I, I thought this Marquette team coming into the year was going – is was basically going to be a one-man band with Marcus Howard. But Sakar Adam has been a lot better offensively, especially of late, than I thought. Um, and, you know, he's – it's – and McEwen, I mean, his, his offensive game has looked better and better of late. You know, I mean, Brendan Bailey is giving them more than I thought as a sophomore. And, you know, he can kind of stretch the floor as well. If Theo John can stay out of foul trouble – He's a nice presence in the middle defensively. So it's a team that's growing. I mean, and mainly because their role players are playing a little better than I anticipated. And then you have the wild card of Marcus Howard, who can just go off for 50 realistically on any given night. And in the tournament, you have a guy like that. You're dangerous against anybody. Thoughts on Marquette, Eli? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, especially with Kobe McEwen, because if you think about last year's team, they were three-point reliance, similar to what they are this season. But – McEwen gives him another ball handler, a guy that can attack the basket. And Marquette gets to the line a lot. Top 30 in college basketball and field goals attempted. So uh, the addition of McEwen has been big to give Howard a little bit of break so he can play off ball a little bit. My only issue is with Marquette. Oh, I have a couple, but with, with Morrow gone, because he's, he's off the team now. And I know he was coming off the bench, but they do lack size. So if Theo John 
gets in foul trouble. Especially gets in foul trouble. Yeah. And, and Bailey's Bailey's been a, a decent rebounder this season. He could also space the floor, so that's been big. Uh, his first season with the Golden Eagles, at least playing this much. But yeah, I, my my concern with with Marquette surprisingly isn't secondary offense. Like finding it when your when your three point shot isn't going, it's it's rebounding the ball uh, with a, la- a little bit of a lack of size. Yeah. Any thoughts on Marquette, Colin? Yeah, I'm completely opposite of you guys. Like, I, I want to fade these guys because if you look at last year's team, where the question was, would would Marcus Howard would he run out of gas at the end? He lost. They lost their last four conference games. They were bounced in their second game in the conference tournament, and they lost to Murray State, and they were bounced out of that too. And and it seems like you know some of these stats that I'm looking at, you know, they live and die on the three points shot. And if they face anybody with a perimeter defense, they can be beat. And that's what I just said about Creighton is that they do have a perimeter defense, and they beat Marquette 92 to 75 earlier this year, and they have another game coming up. But you know, besides home wins against. Purdue and Nova, Marquette has folded against upper level competition. They lost to 21 against Maryland, like I said, 17 to Creighton, 14 to Seton Hall. And Marcus Howard takes 42.6% of the shots on Marquette. That ranks first nationally. That's up from last year when he was only, you know, seventh in the nation in in, the amount of shots that he took for his team. He's now number one player in the in the country as far as, you know, uh, you know, how many shots get up for his entire team. And you just gotta wonder where they're gonna be as we get towards the end of the season because last year. I mean, they, it was a shipwreck. I mean, they, they went off the tracks at the end of the season. And I think when they face teams that can defend the arc, it's going to be problems. Yeah. I mean, one other thing that I'll mention is that they're, they're using their bench a little more this year. Now, Mara's loss does hurt that in a sense. Um, they still don't force any turnovers on defense, but they're taking care of the ball a little more. That was an issue. But yeah, how Howard's man, minutes are managed, because obviously they're going to go as he goes when they get into the tournament. But I do think Adam and McEwen as these secondary scoring options, you know, they, they could help for stretches if Howard goes off the rails for a little bit. But yeah, obviously they're one bad game from Howard away uh, from being bounced in the tournament. All right, let's get to the final three teams at the top of the conference. And, you know, I think Butler's probably in that same tier as Marquette and Creighton. So we'll cover them. I mean, I think an interesting thing with Butler to me, you know, that's a team that's won two straight. They kind of stole a game against Marquette and then they won on the road at Georgetown, the game where Georgetown just looked awful. And that was after they lost three straight. This is a snail, right? There's two snails in the conference, two teams that play really slow. It's Villanova wants to really slow you down and Butler. Butler has a star and Kamar Baldwin who can just take over a game at any time. He's also great defensively. The, good, the best thing about those two wins, if they kind of stole, like they stole Marquette and then Georgetown really melted down in the second half, is they did it without, you know, I mean, Christian David was out, but Aaron Thompson, who's huge for that team. So to get two wins without him is big. I mean, they're outscoring their opponents by 0.2 points per possession with Thompson on the floor, and they're being outscored by 0.1 points per possession. In conference, they're being outscored 0.2 points per possession when he's not on the floor and you know he's huge defensively when he's not in there you know he's obviously you know Kamar Baldwin has to take over more point guard duties he has to cover their best player longer but when Thompson is in there right two good two good guards defensively that can really shut you down on the perimeter Baldwin can just really take over a game Uh, I think that when healthy and Thompson should be coming back here he's day-to-day soon this is a dangerous team, but it's a team that I'm, I've had difficulty getting a read on all year. Eli, I'll start with you. Any, any feel on Butler? I'm with you. I kind of like this team. Thompson is, is excellent defensively, so great point there. Baldwin, I mean, we saw what he, what he did against Marquette down the stretch in that game. It's so many big shots. Also, that dumb Marquette foul uh, to send him to the line, even though uh, Marquette ended up uh, sending it to overtime as well with the three. But... 
the, the biggest, the, the biggest X factor on Butler to me is Sean McDermott because he's their floor spacer, right? He plays, uh, you know, 30 plus minutes a night, pretty much besides when he's in foul trouble, he's gotten hot here over the last couple of games uh, in the Marquette game and in the Georgetown game. So, and he was cold before that. He didn't hit a, a big shot really at all. I think he was at a rough percentage at Villanova 0 for 7 from 3 in that game. And they broke the three game skid a game after that when he got started to get hot against Marquette. So having that uh, floor spacer and Tucker as well, the Duke transfer. Tucker's been great. He can shoot too. Right. So I, I honestly think those two guys are the key because are the keys because you know what you're going to get from Baldwin, even when he's not an elite offensive player on a night-by-night basis with his uh, interior jump shot or mid-range jump shot, you know he's going to bring it defensively. And he's a really good guard, too, on that end of the floor along with Thompson. But you got to be able to space the floor for this team, uh, especially at their pace. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Their defense is going to be there, especially when Thompson comes back. You have a guy like Christian David, I believe, will come back. Um, You know, we're really – reserve off the bench, but he comes in and does some things defensively as well. Um, but the offense, yeah, you're right. It's going to come down to is if Tucker and, and they're going to slow you down, Butler, they're going to grind, you play great defense. And then if Tucker um, and McDermott are making threes, um, it goes a long way. And this team is really dangerous. Colin, any thoughts on Butler? Yeah, they, it's just a team that I'm uncomfortable with. If I had to make a college football comparison, I would compare them to army because their average possession length on offense is their 341st in the nation, which means they need to have a very high success rate of turning those possessions into points. And I just don't see it out of, you know, having a three point percentage at rank 76th or a two point percentage at ranks 47th. The defense is awesome. I mean, I agree with you guys on that. Butler's 26th in defensive rebounding and 13 and in, in effective field goal percentage uh, against opponents. Uh, and the, so they're, they're fantastic at defending inside the arc and hitting the glass, but they're, they're, you know, they're one of the worst in the Big East when it comes to blocks and steals. The whole average possession length, I mean, why games are a grind with Butler comes from the offensive end. They're 341st on the offensive side. That's how long their possessions take. Uh, you know, and, and they just have to be a little bit more, they have to have more success rate is what we would call it. As to where Army is really good at short yard situation in football, I just need more offensive success from Butler because there's such a limited number of long offensive possessions. Cash your tickets if you had Army football, the Army football prop for Colin mentioning it. Uh, but that's a decent comparison. All right, let's get to the top of the conference in the two. I think no one would really argue the two best teams in the conference that sit at the top, Seton Hall and Villanova. Look, Villanova is a team that, look, I've loved Seton Hall from the beginning. Uh, I know Eli's jumping on my wagon, which is fine. By the wagon. I'm glad you allowed me. Thank you very much. Well, you apologize somewhat for the, the trip on on uh, Miles Powell, so I'll allow you on the wagon. But, uh, I mean, Seton Hall, they have, they have tons of size. They're experienced. They have a star player, Miles Powell. You know, they, they recently got Mamo Kuzushvili back. Every time I say his name right, I pat myself on the back. I mean, Romaro Gill has been excellent. 7-2 kid in the middle. I mean, this team defends. I mean, they're arguably one of the best defensive teams in the country overall. And then you obviously have Miles Powell on the other side. Uh, you know, Quincy McKnight. I mean, this team is just, they do everything well. And I love them. And you have Miles Powell, might be the best player in the country. And on the other side with Villanova, it's a team that I, I – and, and by the way, I have Seton Hall ranked as the sixth best team in the country. And the difference between one and six and eight and ten, it's not much, It's this year, especially this year. But the Villanova is a team that I, I guess I've been 
right. You know, I've been rising up in the, in the power rankings. Maybe I'm not doing it enough, but I mean, Sadiq Bay has been amazing. He looks like he's going to be a good pro. Uh, Gillespie's the steady hand. Robinson Earl, the freshman, he's been amazing as well as more. Just two freshmen that have been a lot better than I anticipated them being, which is why I think, you know, I've been fading Nova here this year. But I will say Nova's running extremely well, especially in conference. Teams are shooting you heard us say with the Butler when they missed all those threes, McDermott couldn't make a three. You heard us say with Providence, they couldn't make an open three. They went three at 23. Teams are shooting 24.6%. That's like ridiculously good and lucky from three against Villanova this year. And Villanova's played a really easy conference schedule. Same with Seton Hall. So both of these teams have played a fairly easy conference schedule. They're running a little well from three. You know, so I think that there's going to be some value in fading both of these teams, St. Hall and Villanova. I'm excited to throw away more money fading Villanova down the stretch, but they're, they're probably at the peak of their value in conference play. Um, they both played fairly easy conference schedules so far. But this Nova team looks good, and they look dangerous. And Jay Wright will get them in the march, and they'll have a shot. And their freshmen have just been really impressive, and Sadiq Bay has just taken a huge step up. But I still think Seton Hall is the best team in this conference. But as a conference tournament and we'll talk about this later this is a right for someone to make a run such as a providence so give me your thoughts on on the top of the the conference eli i like your point about opponents three-point percentage against villanova like that is shoot 24 percent. like that's going to come back uh at some point positive regression maybe in the latter part of the big east schedule here and maybe in the conference tournament and these aren't all contested shots i've watched these games i mean teams aren't making open shots against them and that's not going to persist forever. Right. The only other thing with, with Villanova's three-point shooting, respectively for their offense, I was looking back two years ago when they won the title because oh, just under 40% of their offense comes from three this year. So when I, when I keep looking at them game by game, it seems so unsustainable. And then I look at what they did two years ago, and I know they had Jalen Brunson, like you have the player of the year, one of the best point guards in college basketball over the last two decades. So obviously that plays a role into it. Deke Bay is really coming to his own. I think he's going to be a really good pro too, Stuck. But, um, but yeah, again, just thinking about what they were two years ago, like they were so reliant on threes too. They over 40% of their offense came from three. So defensively, I would agree teams are going to regress positively, but offensively, like this is sustainable. This is a sustainable offense to make a run in the tournament. The question is, can their defense hold up? Can that percentage hold up? Whatever amount of luck, uh, whatever amount of luck goes into that percentage. Yeah, very well connected, great passing team, though, I gotta say, especially, you know, with a couple of freshmen getting prime minutes. But yeah, I mean, even last year, Villanova, they were way too three point reliant last year. The team that got crushed by Purdue in the tournament. But fifty three and a half percent of their uh attempts were from three last year, which was third highest in the nation. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a little more balanced this year, around 46%. And, yeah, I mean, that's the, the, the new the new hoop. And, you know, you want to take threes and easy twos, and they get good looks because they are well-coached and they they share the ball extremely well and just a well-connected team. Any thoughts on the top of the conference, Kyle? Are yeah, you on like the whole bandwagon? 
I, I have no money invested in Seton Hall. And really it's because, you know, you guys know with me when I'm taking futures is I look for a part in the schedule where there's going to be a dip and maybe find a better number. I mean, getting Iowa hundred to one was just a timing aspect, you know, like I took Arizona, uh, you know, this week off of a uh, lost Arizona state. So really it's kind of predicated by what the schedule is and predictions of wins and losses. And, you know, sometimes you have a three game road stint, but for Seton Hall, I love them. I mean, they're by a mile, the best defensive team in the conference or sixth in the nation in defensive efficiency. Uh, they're seventh in average height, sixth in blocks. Uh, and their strength of schedule is 12th in the nation. I mean, it's not like this is built on a bunch of uh, UMBCs or anything like that. I mean, they lost to Michigan State by three, Oregon by two, beat Butler in Maryland. I mean, this is a legit team. When do you take them? Maybe wait until after February 8th, maybe till after the game against Nova. Uh, that's what that'll, that'll encompass the, the toughest part of the schedule. Uh, and then after that, it's home Butler and home Nova for the rest of the season. So I think February 8th is where you want to circle for Seton Hall. As for Nova, uh, you know, I mean, they've won seven straight, 13 of 14 at the loss at Marquette. Uh, you know, they're yet to play Seton Hall. They've beaten Kansas, Butler. Uh, they've had away neutral losses, Ohio State and Baylor. Uh, but, you know, they're top 10 in the nation hitting their free throws, top 25 in point distribution from three. So they're very reliant on the three still, just like last season. And they're only 83rd in, sh- in three-point shooting. So if they go cold, it's going to be uh, a trickle-down effect on their wins and losses. What worries me about Nova is they're 334th in bench minutes and experience, both rank 334th, which is odd. But, I mean, what will be in the tank once March comes around when you have this kind of bench minutes and this kind of experience uh, going in your favor? And if the shooting goes cold, it could go south really fast. Scheduling-wise, uh, they got Butler, Seton Hall, and Marquette all coming up pretty soon. So you'd want to take a take a look at, at a futures market around Thursday, February 13th. All right, there you go. That's a, as comprehensive as a midseason breakdown of the Big East as you'll get. All right, before we get out of here, we'll just go quickly on, I'll give you a chance to yell, yell about a team, a little rant uh, from the past week. And then we'll just, we'll rapid fire a couple spots we have circled for Saturday and then we'll get out of here. This season, it feels like every team sucks. So who enters struggle city this week and who's moving out? Moving out. I got to rant about Michigan. Look, Moneyline Parlay on Saturday, I had them in. I was worried about their free throw shooting a little bit. I know they've been shooting it better this year, but so I just took them on the money line with Utah State who rolled. And I mean, that was, I know they lost livers. I know that there was some questionable calls down the stretch, but I mean, they missed six, I believe six straight free throws in the final two minutes and Illinois steals that game. That was absolutely infuriating that game. And then I have to just throw this out there. Clemson, I had minus one and a half against Syracuse. There is nothing more infuriating than having a team minus one and a half and then seeing them win on a miracle two to win by one uh, at the buzzer. And then you're just screaming for them to shoot a three. You're screaming them for the refs to call a foul when they're going in inside. Uh, and then you're screaming for the other team to just throw it the length of the court and the other team intercepts it and you get a, a foul. So Clemson just, uh, Buddy Bayon hit a three at the end of the first half. I had him first half to ruin that. And then the second half, they missed a couple front ends. And uh, front ends, just fuck front ends. That's my rant. Eli, you? Uh, my rant is fuck Baylor. Uh, going back to that game. Oh, man. Baylor cost me a lot of money this week. And then the Florida game, too. Like, I, I they're such a good gang rebounding team. Gillespie is so good on the glass. Vital pisses the living shit out of me. Just rebound the freaking basketball if you're Iowa State. 
Florida, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm completely done with them. Mike White is uh, Randall's Eric Musselman from last season. I cannot take Mike White. If Kerry Blackshear, like remember whenever it was in on Florida going back to the offseason because they got Blackshear and he's completely fallen off. He doesn't seem interested at times in the game. Uh, so yeah, a team just needs to, you need to get a good rebounding team against this Baylor team because they are fraudulent. Uh, and we'll talk about a spot on Saturday that I think is intriguing. Yeah, fuck Baylor. Fuck Scott Drew. I, I hate when a team just stays in a game and then gets up by double digits and wins by double digits because all they do is get offensive rebounds. Yeah, Baylor, they have a lot. They have great guards on the outside. They run good motion. They have great rebounding team, but they're just, they're not this good. They're not, people are saying, oh, we have an elite team. I mean, you have some D3 transfers in there, some cast offs. I mean, they're really well connected and playing good. And they have some talented kids that they got in there that are part of the mix, but Baylor and Kansas right now, they're just covering machines. But uh, I think Kansas is clearly the best team at that conference overall. And you're right. Once Baylor runs into a team with size and, and look, that Florida game, and we just saw Florida lose at home to Mississippi State. You know, they probably should have lost to Alabama at home. It's been an underachieving team all year. And Florida probably should have won that game against Baylor if you just look at the shooting. I mean, and then if you just look at the average shooting splits and project out how that game should have played out, Florida probably should have won. And then you have an 80, 82% free throw shooter missing three straight front ends in the second half. Good God. Um, yeah, I agree. Fuck Baylor as well. Uh, Colin, who do you want to yell at? I think Patrick Ewing should donate half of his uh, paycheck for only coaching half of a game, or at least maybe take that money and go buy a microwave to defrost the damn frozen envelope. I don't know, but do something else with that money. Cause you didn't coach the second half of that, that game the other night against Butler. Uh, the only other team I'm going to bitch at is Stony Brook. I don't know how you're minus 17 to Binghamton and Binghamton's in a, yeah, if you, if you do a little geography, they were in an eight hour bus ride to Maine and the eight hours back. And that's right after they had uh, almost as long of a bus ride to UMass Lowell and back. And then they had to come see you Stony Brook through the entire state down through the city. And you couldn't even win favored by 17 points. So you're dead to me, Stony Brook. 17-point favorites. Now, forget about the cover. You didn't even win against a Binghamton team that was living in a Greyhound. For three weeks, they lived in a Greyhound. They were never even on campus, and you lost a 17-point favorites. Pathetic. <laughs> All right, that was great. Uh, I did not expect Stony Brook and the geography lesson up north, uh, but that was lovely. And uh, let's go, before we get out of here, we'll just go around and mention a spot or two that you have circled for Saturday. Obviously, we'll have a staff favorite piece We'll preview one or two marquee games on Saturday. Uh, Eli, I'll start with you. What do you got circled for Saturday? One or two spots. So many games, so little time. Let's look at the Saturday slate. Yeah, going back to the uh, the Big East, uh, Providence is projected to be around a 10, 11 point dog at Butler this weekend on Saturday. What do you, what do you make that game, Colin, with your projections or stock? I make it nine. Uh, <sighs> 11. There you go. Stuck says nine. I think <laughs> in the number uh, going again, this is another rematch game. Providence was playing on, on the, uh, the I mean, and by the way, nine is assuming full health. So I don't know if Thompson's going to be back, David. So and Thompson's big and Thompson doesn't play, but I, I think Providence, I'm probably going to be on Providence for the spot, the matchup. Uh, and especially if Thompson doesn't play and or isn't fully healthy, but that's just my raw number is nine. Yeah, and going back to that last game, it was a Friday spot when Providence was like a one or two point dog at home against Butler. They had just played uh, on the Saturday previously, the Tuesday, and the, and then you're going up against a red hot Butler team before they started their skid. And that was actually the game before they started the skid, starting with the Seton Hall game. So 
Uh, I think Providence got Butler just at the wrong time. And now you, again, get him in a rematch when you're probably going to be roughly a double-digit dog, of course, depending on when Thompson plays. But that's all about getting the best of the number. If you get Providence late Friday night, you probably get him as a double-digit dog no matter what, whether Thompson plays or not. Providence coming off uh, four out of five straight lo- or four to five losses in a row. Uh, they shot six of 25 as well from three in that Butler game. So and they missed a billion wide open layups. It was all in the first 10 minutes. And Providence does play, play better on the road at times. We saw that at Marquette a few weeks ago. They started off hot. They came back and ended up winning that game in overtime. So I like, I like Providence here defensively. They match up all against Butler. Butler is their biggest liability is from three though. So Providence has to regress positively from three, uh, considering again, six to 25 in that last matchup. And I think they will. And I think Duke bounces back as well. Yeah, I agree. It's a Providence team that beat, it's a Providence team that beat Butler three times last year. They match up pretty well on the inside as well. You're, you're fading Baylor again. Yeah. Baylor will probably be on my card uh, with TCU going to Baylor. But one of the other spots that I like a little bit more than TCU at Baylor, even though that line's going to be inflated, uh, the, the Baylor, Baylor's probably going to be favored by 13, 14 points. And TCU can rebound. They're like top 50 in, in, in height across college basketball. So I think they can uh, give Baylor issues when Baylor, again, just tries to win, win the game by game rebounding. But Michigan against Rutgers, that's probably going to be around a pick. Michigan might even be a one-point dog in that spot. I would consider putting them on the money line. That, that was a huge win at Nebraska without Xavier. Yeah. No livers as well. And now you get Simpson back. Livers was taking shots pregame in that one with the groin injury. So I, I think you should expect him to play. Now, can he, can he stand the floor is the question. But, you know, going back to something uh, Stuck said earlier about Rutgers, this team is fraudulent-ish. They've won. They're undefeated at home at the rack. Geo Baker is a great player, but uh, Rutgers on the road is a completely different team for a, a team that relies so much on its scoring from inside the arc. So I think you're getting value with Michigan on a team that's probably undervalued at this point and uh, should start to peak here. Yep. Really good spots. Don't disagree with any. Once out there out there, if you want to buy low, sell high on a team, they might, my big free preseason horse future is Louisville. I think they're still going to have a shot. They have some issues, but so does everyone this year, but NC state, if you want to buy low, uh, this is the spot to do so at home against Louisville in a really big game for the Wolfpack. I also will throw out Utah State. Team's finally healthy. The team is playing really well, going to San Diego State with revenge. Um, man, if you can get double digits here, I think San Diego. I think San Diego State could lose this game. Uh, this is a huge game for Utah State if they want a shot at uh, that large bid, which yeah, after their conference play has not looked great. So those are the two I'll throw out there. I have my spots piece on Saturday. Colin, what do you got? First off, don't overlook the fact that Siena is back on the road Friday night against five win Iona. So don't overlook that. Uh, on Saturday, I got a, I got a handful of them. So uh, DePaul at Marquette. Marquette's off a two overtime game and an overtime game, uh, and I think that's going to be a spread that really kind of catches a lot of people's eye and wondering why it's probably short. So Ken Palmino makes it an eight. So we'll see what the number is there. Uh, Ole Miss is also off double OT. They're going to LSU. Uh, oh man, Ole Miss. Oh, there God. we go. <laughs> West Virginia is going to look to bounce back uh, uh, in a round 
out against Kansas State. The Wildcats turn around and host Baylor on Monday, so a really quick turnaround for Kansas State. Evansville has lost nine straight conference games, and Northern Iowa is 7-1 in their last eight conference games. The Panthers' offense can name it here. Best shooting team in the Missouri Valley against the worst defense in the Missouri Valley. Virginia Tech's getting points, I think, against Florida State, possibly. Uh, We'll see what the spread is, but the Hokies' best defensive rebounding team in the conference, the third in defending the perimeter where FSU gets the bulk of their points, so I'm looking at the Hokies. Tulsa is, I think, going to be, we'll find out at the Action Network, but I think I'm going to have a write-up on Saturday uh, for our staff favorites, and Tulsa might be it. Tulsa's winners of five straight. Uh, Big game against Wichita State coming. Uh, They're hosting them. Uh, Tulsa has a clear advantage in scoring in the paint. Uh, I would take any points we could get with Tulsa whatsoever, probably even a pick. Yep. Yeah. That, that Cloud Tech game, they're off losses at Boston College and at Miami. And uh, they're home against Florida State. So Hokies lost three of four. Now, Florida State won against Virginia. I think the spot would even be better. But this is a best effort spot for Cloud Tech uh, in Blacksburg. Uh, so agree with you there. As far as Friday is concerned, Bowling Green, by the way, they couldn't cover at all for like a month and a half. Team got Justin Turner back. He got assimilated back into the offense. The team is playing really well. They're at Buffalo. Buffalo's coming off a win. If you recall last year, Bowling Green lost to Buffalo in the MAC championship game to go to the tournament. So there's some revenge here. Buffalo with a big loss. And Bowling Green, I think, for mine, I think they're the best team in the conference when healthy and Turner's back in the mix. So that's a game that I'll look on, a, on an ugly Friday slate. And yeah, Iona's just a pick at home against Siena. There's some injuries with Iona that I'll have to check, but keep your eye on that. All right. Thanks to Eli for coming on and joining us. Randall will be back next week. Thanks, Colin, as always, for joining me. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, I would be remiss not to mention the death of Kobe Bryant and the other passengers, his daughter and the other passengers on board, RIP, and thoughts and prayers to anyone impacted by those losses and anyone that's lost anyone recently. I think it's just a great reminder to you know call someone that you love uh, tell them that you love them and and uh, cherish every moment a very fragile life that you never know when it's going to be gone for you or someone that's close to you. And uh, I loved Kobe watching him grow, play at Lower Marion when I was just a little kid. From a college basketball fan, it would have been so cool to see him uh, go to like Duke for a year. But it was a pleasure watching his career. And I'm, I'm sad that we won't get to see what he does next in his Hall of Fame speech, et cetera. But I think it's just a great reminder overall about the fragility of life. So I'll end it there. Make sure you tell a friend, tell an enemy about the podcast, rate, review, subscribe, leave a comment. Those always help us a ton. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the weekend of college basketball action and the Super Bowl. And uh, we'll catch you all next week. Cheers. Peace out. We're finished talking.